Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Seriously, man, you don't really think we're going to see any Canutes and 41 Rockies jerseys here at Coors Field, do you? I mean, no offense, I know you're a local and all, but that was a long time ago. You never know. I've seen some old guy jerseys around here, haven't you? In fact, I actually heard from a really good source. You mean you saw it on Twitter. Whatever. I heard that Chad Cool's wearing 41 now for the Rockies because he grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan and he watched me wearing number 41 back in the day. That, you know, that's pretty cool, right? I see what you did there, Mark. Yeah, okay, wait. Look, he's right over there. Let's just go ask him. Well, you know, we probably shouldn't bother him. What do you mean? We're media. That's our job. Follow me. Uh, okay, but, but let me ask him. Hey, Chad, I'm Mark Knutson. This is Manny Randall. We do a podcast called the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. He came up with the name. Congrats on your great start to the season. Are you liking it here? He's got a question for you, Chad. Okay, I heard somewhere that you're wearing number 41 here as a Rocky because, you know, I wore it a while back. A long okay, while back. Okay, whatever. I wore 41 in Milwaukee, as I'm sure you know, since I heard you grew up a Brewers fan and all. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, grew up in Delaware. Um, you know, kind of watched the Phillies kind of growing up, but uh, never really heard of you. So when they gave me 41, I don't think it really had some uh, significance behind it. Sorry. Yeah, what's what show am I on? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. The All-Star break is here, the trade deadline looms, and the Colorado Rockies, well, after a successful homestand, the chances of the team being sellers at the deadline and starting a rebuild look slim. What should they be doing? Longtime scout Ed Henderson joins the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast this week to talk about the Rockies at the deadline and the MLB draft. The present and the future are both in focus as we throw out our opening pitch right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Manny, the All-Star break has arrived. The Rockies arrived. A pretty good homestand, right? They've won both series of this homestand. We've debated the the benefits of that, and we'll continue to debate the benefits, benefits of that, but it does... Pose the question, and people, we've been asking this for a month now. People are starting to ask this, ask the question elsewhere: Will the Rockies be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? I think you and I have been on the same page with this all along that they need to be sellers. They need to be sellers, in my mind, in a big way. Just fire right. sale stuff, start start over, rebuild a whole bit. Doesn't look like that's going to be the plan. In fact, honestly, at this point, I'd be surprised if they did anything at the All Star break. I think they'll stand pat like they did last year. But our guest this week might have a different a different opinion of this. He's a scout. He's a longtime media guy here in Denver. He knows Bill Schmidt better than you and I do. I think that's safe to say. Ed, Ed Henderson joins us. Ed, um, we, we wanted to title this episode Being Bill Schmidt <laughs> because we don't know what's going on in there. I, I have a theory, and you tell me if you think this is any, any, in any way accurate. A year ago at this time when Trevor Story and John Gray were on the trading block, allegedly, and nothing happened, I'm not sure Bill Schmidt had the authority for management, given that he was not yet the general manager. He was the interim general manager. Right. I'm not sure he had the authority to make any moves last year because it's on the surface, it sure looked like they butchered the trade deadline last year. Is that possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think uh, obviously if you're a guy sitting on eggshells waiting to see if the job is going to be yours on a permanent basis, you're probably a little reluctant to, to 
maybe pull the trigger on a deal without having full compliance and buy-in from the ownership. But, you know, I think it's possible. Sure. I mean, you know, Bill's been around the game a long time, long time scout, but relatively new, very new actually to the, the whole general management aspect of the business. So I, I, I would say that's well within the realm of possibility. And I think we have seen over the last six months that, that Bill, since he became the, um, since the interim title was removed from his job description, that he's kind of opened up a little bit, maybe done some things, you know, the re-signing of uh, CJ Crone, the acquisition of uh, Jose Iglesias, some other moves that he's made that uh, I think so far this year have shown up in a, in a very positive way for the Rockies. And uh, the thing is though, that with this club, it seems like there doesn't seem to be any discernible direction. We, we, we keep going back to that because yeah, they, they, because signed, it's true. That's why we go back to it. They signed Chris Bryant. They, 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 they opened the wallet big time for Chris Bryant. And you know, that's on the heels of Arenado and story and LeMayu leaving. It just, there just doesn't seem to be, there might, it might be there, but because you know, we don't hear it. We, we don't know what the, what the direction uh, is, is for the Rockies. I mean, you, you have teams that come through here and, and you see that um, they're clearly in rebuild mode or they're clearly in, you know, in between rebuilding and competing. And they're, they're on that, they're on, they're in the process. The Rockies seem to be in this kind of no man's land of hamster wheel. We, yeah. We're, we're, we're competing and then they don't compete. And then the next year comes yeah. around, we're competing. And then they don't compete. And then the next year comes around and, and, you know, their window was really 17 and 18. And if they had added on at that point and, and spent some money well there to build around, I mean, you had LeMahieu, Arenado story, that young pitching staff, Charlie Blackman coming off of his best season uh, a couple of years before, and you couldn't get it done. So now we're, we're in a different place. So what, what do you, what, tell us if you see some sort of direction from this team coming together or if they are truly in no man's land what should they do coming up on the trade deadline here in about two weeks well i tell you guys uh i don't disagree one bit with the assessment of the rockies that they appear to be without a direction when it comes to the future of the club and i think that's a an affliction that they've had for a number of years now and i to your point manny i think you're absolutely right i mean Back in 17 and 18, they do get to the postseason. They've got a shot at, at perhaps going deeper into the postseason, but really nothing comes of it. Nothing else was done to really better their opportunity. And, Mark, I think from your perspective, and you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, just casually talking before, but, you know, I, I think they're a ball club, quite honestly, that's still searching for an identity. I, I don't know that they are a team that really knows exactly what the future holds for them in terms of, what they need to do, what they should do. That's scary. Um, yeah, that's I, scary. Yeah, it, it is scary. And I agree with you. And I, you know, I'm 71 years old. I've been watching this ball club now since I was in my forties. You know, I want to see this team win. And I, I'm not interested in hearing about five-year plans or any of that foolishness. I want to know what's going to make this team better for next year. So I would say that as much as they despise this term, you know, the, the rebuild, I, I think they've got to do it. And I think if they look at what the Houston Astros, who had had a horrible uh, series of bad years back, what, seven, eight years ago, mm -hmm. if they had done what Houston had done, perhaps three or four years ago themselves, I think they might be moving into a more 
positive light right now. But, but, but Ed, that is a five-year plan, though. That's what you said you despise. I mean, I, they got it. There's got to be some, you know, bite the bullet here a little bit. Because yeah. They're going to have to do that. Rebuild is not a dirty word. It's no. Look, it's working in Baltimore of all places right now, right? Yep. I mean, the Orioles are suddenly competitive when they weren't haven't been for several years nope that's right that's right they're, they're gonna I, have to do that i uh, i completely I think- agree guys i i don't disagree for a moment i i was talking with some guys in the press box a couple of weeks ago and we were looking at the roster and saying all right if you're bill schmidt who are the guys that you are going to quote unquote protect when it comes to the trade deadline who are the guys that you absolutely would not release under any circumstances and I got to tell you guys, I had nobody on my list. Everybody there is available yep. from my point of view. That's that's it. And including including Herman Marcus. Including, everybody. I'm, everybody. Everybody. I mean, you know, you, you look at what the Yankees did a few years ago, guys. And, and Mark, you're familiar with that ball club. And I, I think, you know, they Brian Cashman was smart enough to start making some deals where he started to build his farm system. And you guys all know that that this starts at the lowest piece of the foundation and you build upward from there. And Cashman was smart enough to start stockpiling, you know, talent there. And lo and behold, look what they've got. Now they're in a position not only to utilize some of that talent as it comes through their minor league system, but it also opens them up to some pretty good trade opportunities when, when you can dangle some decent prospects out there that another team's interested in for maybe a veteran player. And And that's the thing too, Ed, is that uh, the Rockies, uh, when Arenado left, they're a team that um, is a 90 loss team annually, and they have a a farm system ranked in the bottom five. So you're, you're in trouble on both sides and and you've got it. You've got to, you've got to pick one or the other. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have a a strong big league club, that's one thing. And then your, your farm system is, depleted because of it that's something that's one thing okay but if you've got a big league club that can't win and and a farm system that's ranked in the bottom five you've got a big issue and that's why i'm thinking you know how often you you know this better than than most ed how often do you have a chance to really pick up a haul like you might be able to get uh to stock more maybe some of the when we've talked about this on this show many many weeks now um, that, that you can stock the, the upper portions of your, your system, because all of your real talent is at the, your, your system's bottom heavy. It's all at a and double a, well, really a and high a mostly. And so you have CJ crone that can bring something back. You've got Daniel Bard that can bring something. These guys are all Bard's an all-star too. If he's not, I don't know if he's going to, they're going to add him, but he he should be there. These are guys that can really help a club looking to make a postseason push. And I feel like that they are, they could bring you back something that, so that when the Monteros come up and when the Tobars come up, the guys who are almost ready now and start to get you know experience with the Rogers of the world and the McMahons, that by the time these other kids then come up that you can bring in for, for, for these uh, veterans, that you have something happening there. And yep. that's, that's, I think, I feel like the fan base would welcome such a thing, even if it meant letting Crone go and See, letting Bard that, go. Manny, that's the elephant in the room right there, the, the, the fans. Last time they went through this, and, and we were—you weren't here, but Ed and I were—early uh, two thousands. Todd and the Toddlers, the the team that was Todd Hilton and, and not much else, losing a lot of games. But they were birthing generation Gen R, as they called it, Generation R, and that it took six or seven years, but they ended up in the World Series in, in two thousand seven with that nucleus that they were that was mostly homegrown. On it the, takes some pain, right? some pain. Here was here was the pain that they're not necessarily willing to endure. That's mm-hmm. when attendance bottomed out. 
as far as yeah. the Rockies are concerned. It's the only time they've been under 2 million in attendance. Um, I don't think they're willing to go there again. I don't think they're willing to do the rebuild because they don't think the fans will come to the games if they do that. Well, well, that, guys, I think, is the elephant in the room. Keep, keep in mind, and I don't disagree with what you just said, Mark. Keep in mind that, you know, you look around baseball, pick, pick any team outside of, well, maybe outside of the Rockies completely. But I think if, if you look around the game, both in the American and National League, there typically is a correlation between on-field performance and attendance, right? And let's use Pittsburgh as a classic example, right? I mean, the Pirates are not a good ball club, and it's showing up at the gate. It's showing up in a big way. They're getting really poor attendance back there. The Rockies, on the other hand, have the benefit of a very – I'm trying to think of the right word for it. You know, I don't want to say ill-informed because that's not fair, but I, I, I think – Casual, very casual fan base that makes up a lot of the attendance at Coors Field. These are people that I think come to the ballpark because it's Coors Field. They come to the ballpark because, you know, they can go socialize with friends, have have some beers and relax and enjoy themselves for an evening. Winning to a number of these people is not critical. You know, it is to the core fan here, but to the vast majority of what I'll call the cocktail crowd, it doesn't matter. It doesn't you know, matter. That, that's and an so, interesting point because, like you said, Mark, um, maybe it doesn't affect the gate as much as we think it would. Well, at this point, again, with this fan we, base today now believe, with the rooftop right. and with the hotel and everything else. We may believe that, but I'm not sure management does. I'm, I think yeah. management is gun shy about that. Well, you know, if, it, you, if it doesn't happen, I mean, I think we can all agree that it's not going to happen, right? They're not going to they're not going to philosophically make that change and, and say we're we're going to look to 26 and 27 rather right. than next year. And so, Ed, do you think that's pretty much a, a, a foregone conclusion that, that this team is going to look substantially similar on August 3rd? Oh, absolutely. I do. I mean, I, I think, again, I, I can tell you guys if I and, and this is one of those things where I, I have an obsession with winning. And, and I've always felt that way, that the, the role of the general manager and the ownership of the ball club, is to give the fans not only what they want, but what they deserve. And this team, we've seen it with the Avalanche here. We know that this is a town that appreciates professional sports. And they reward the, the teams that get it. You saw the attendance of that Avalanche parade. Guys, I got to say, if, if the Rockies were to win the World Series, I think you'd have a couple of million people down there in early November to watch sure. that parade. But I don't, I don't get any sense that the way they've operated in the past is going to change one little bit. Okay. So, um, so you know, Bill Schmidt, um, I do. And, and we've talked about this being his first time being a general manager. I think that we all think that the Chris Bryant signing was ownership dictated rather than Bill Schmidt. Dictated. But the other moves you've talked about were definitely Bill Schmidt trying to put a stamp on this team. How, what does it say? What happens if he stands pat at the, all, at the trading deadline? What happens if, if Inglesias and Bard and Crone and, and other guys, Gritchick are still here and he and his and the line is well. We wanted to give these guys a chance to, to win, which is what we've already heard. Which and we know that it's just not going to happen. This is not a playoff team as currently constructed. They're quite a ways from that. And, and what does it say about Bill Schmidt as a general manager? Is he, is he just now kowtowing to the company line, or does he want to win like you do? Well, let me, let me tell you something, guys. Here's here's something else that we need to throw into the mix here. You look at and I'm talking about before today's game before before the uh, last of the series with the Pirates. You look at that uh, standings in the National League West. The Rockies, I think, before today, and check me on this, I think we're five games behind the third-place San Francisco Giants. So I think part of the argument that the Rockies will make is, hey, we want to keep this team together because we think we can play better in the second half 
and perhaps have a chance to catch the Giants. Now, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm not saying that I think that's the right way to go, but I think it may be the the uh, strategy that they employ because, uh, you know, I the strategy, I just the strategy designed to keep people coming to games in August and yeah, September. That's it. That's exactly it. And and I would be much more excited about these guys if they just came forward and said, look, we've got a team right now that is a substandard product for these fans. We have an obligation to them and to you know, basically to the media and everybody to make this team better. So to do that, folks, we're going to have to go through some pain. And honestly, we feel that the best thing for this team long term is to take advantage of opportunities now to move some of the guys that are sitting on this roster to other clubs and get the benefit of prospects, maybe an impact player in the deal. Who knows? But I, I would tell you that I think from my standpoint, if, if we get to August 3rd and this team roster looks like it does today, I'm going to be disappointed, and, but and Ed, I won't be surprised. Let me, let me ask you this um, shifting from the ideal to the real, because the ideal, I think uh, we, at least from our perspective here, I think we're in agreement that the ideal would be, be significant sellers at the set at the deadline, restock the upper ends of your farm system and uh, look at three or four years from now. But, that's probably not going to happen. I think we're, it's pretty clear. So now we look ahead and toward the draft and they, they picked up Gilbert Hughes, big right-hander from Gonzaga, um, 6'4", 220. It's like, it's, it's, you know, the, the profile is another John Gray, 6'4", 220, 98 mile an hour fastball slider changeup. And uh, so, you know, the Rockies, you know, I, I guess it's a tried and true. You go with the college pitcher. Um, your thoughts on that, Ed? Coming from sea level. Yeah, and that's that, Mark, is a big point there. Yep. Exactly. I mean, yep. uh, pitching in Washington State is going to be a lot different than pitching here or, or any place else probably where the Rockies have a, you know, a team in the system. I will tell you that generally speaking, I think a, a ball club like the Rockies that is a, you know, a, a, a constant run behind team every year in the standings should focus more on college players than high school players. If, if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers or you're the Yankees or you're name the team that's playing really well right now, I think you can afford to take gambles with high school guys. I really do. But if, if you're a team that has been struggling for years to win and, and needs to have some impact guys in place sooner than later, I think you know, need to go the route of a, um, you know, of a college player. Now, with respect to Hughes that they picked up today, uh, I know a little bit about him. Um, I think he, he he's going to be a guy that you, you mentioned, John Gray. I, I think that may be a, a, a fairly good comparison, Mark. The, the one thing I hope he doesn't go in the direction of is a Greg Reynolds. And Reynolds, if you guys recall from the 2006 Stanford. draft. Stanford, yeah. You know, I mean, it, I, I, and I hate to use this term because I, I, I think it's unfair to, to place labels on athletes with this. But the, the term that I kept hearing after they drafted uh, Reynolds was that he was soft. And, and again, I, I don't know if that's a fair assessment or not, but I will tell you this. I think this team has got to, you know, go to the lengths of free agency, trade and drafting and be smart in all three. They can't afford to fall behind in one. And Manny, I couldn't agree with you more about this team sitting in the bottom five of all of baseball in terms of the, the depth of their farm system. That's just, that, that can't happen. I mean, not if, if, if you were, not the, if you're a fourth or fifth place team, 
Yeah. Exactly. At the major and, league level. Exactly right. And here's the thing. You know, I've had people tell me before, well, and, and I haven't looked at the standings of the uh, of the farm system evaluations in a while, but I will tell you this. I've had people tell me before that, well, you know, you're going to find the Red Sox in there occasionally. You're going to find the Yankees in there occasionally. Yeah, you will, because yeah, they've their emptied teams, their they're system. winning at the big league level. Yeah, exactly. They've emptied lower. their system to, to, to bring in quality talent that's going to be impactful right now. So, guys, it really gets down to this. Is Hughes going to be the guy for them that's going to get them, you know, some additional mileage down the road? I certainly hope so. But I will tell you this, where he was projected in the first round was late in the first round. Mm -hmm. And the only I, the one thing I've learned for sure over the course of 30 years of scouting is the only thing that's certain about the draft is how uncertain it is. Yeah, you you right. just don't know. And when people come out and tell you, well, this guy's a can't miss guy. You look at these experts that they have on the draft coverage, some of whom you can see on MLB TV tonight. And, um, you know, these guys are often wrong. And the, and the teams often, when they draft, are wrong. And so yeah, projections, you know, right. projections are, are projections, right? I mean, 23 teams, 23 teams passed on Mike Trout, you know, and it's like, you know, and, you know, there's Billy Bean's that, that example, right? Because everybody knows Moneyball and all that. It, you know, Billy Bean was the guy that couldn't miss right gave up his scholarship to stanford right. went out right. of high school and couldn't cut couldn't cut it as a player yeah so and, and yeah you're, you're right ed the uh hughes i think mlb pipeline had him at number 26 prospect in baseball and they picked they took him at 10 obviously you know when you're looking at college pitchers you're looking at a position not so obviously the rockies deviated from best on the board right they, they didn't yeah. go best on the board yeah, and it, 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 you know, you, and there's nothing wrong with if go, going off the board a little bit. If you know, I, I don't believe in that best player available stuff. I believe in the best player available at a position of need. In the Rockies' case, yeah. th these are positions of need. However, you know, now in this day and age, and I've always been a proponent of drafting college kids because I think you get a more ready player, a guy who's not you know no deer in the headlights look, uh, and he gets there sooner. I mean, Troy Tulowitzki took a year and a day. Uh, you know, Todd Helton, Jason Jennings, they've had a lot of these, and they've also had Matt Holliday's and and. Nolan Arenados, who came out of high school, they just take longer to get here. Yeah, so yeah. I, I get that too. But the, here's the fear of drafting these high, these college pitchers now is that they play year round baseball all of a sudden over the last few years, and they're mile, they don't have as many miles on their arm. Or they have well, a lot more miles on their arm. They don't have a lot, as much mileage left in their arms as they, as they did in my day. I came out of college having never played winter ball or fall ball or any of that stuff, and I had a fresh arm. I and I ended up playing for 12 years, 14, 16 years if you count college, and I never had a surgery. That's not the case with these guys anymore. So you have to be super careful, which brings me back to the original point. Why not then trade, use some of what you have now to trade for guys that have been through the system for a little while, somebody else's system exactly. for a while. Go get a second, uh, you know, a double A, triple A guy who, who now is a more of a sure thing than somebody you draft originally. And that, that's what bothered, I think we all talked about this. That's what bothered us last year about the Trevor Story thing, man. He's, they said, oh, we'll get a draft pick for him. Well, Same thing what with does Story. that mean? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. Exactly. You, know, you don't know. You, you never know what that's going to translate to. And, and, you know, guys, one of the reasons that I think perhaps the, the Rockies went with Hughes is that from what I had been hearing prior to the draft, they were in pretty heavy on this kid, uh, Gavin Cross from uh, Virginia Tech, the outfielder. And mm -hmm. he was taken in the draft today with the ninth pick. So, you know, bottom line is I think that the, the Rockies had their eye on him and when Kansas City gobbled him up, they said, all right, who's, who's our backup? And, and you guys know this. I mean, 
you have to when you're going through this draft preparation process. One. You've got your primary guy, but yeah. you better have four or five other guys yeah. because exactly. if you're if if you've got teams picking ahead of you, you don't get to decide exactly who you're going to get. So I think that part of the reason they went with Hughes may be that, you know, one of the guys, maybe it was Cross, maybe it was one of the other guys that got selected with picks one through eight was somebody that they wanted and and just got grabbed prior to their selection. Well, then if you're reaching for the 26th guy after the ninth guy's gone, you didn't do your homework, right? You just yeah. didn't, your preparation's not, not as good as it should be. And, well, I, I mean, mean is that, some, I haven't looked at the list, but is that the, is that the first, is that the best college arm on the board after that? There wasn't a lot this year. The college, because honestly, the, the, there have been a lot, of, a lot of prep position players near the top this year. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was one of those weird years where there weren't a whole lot of college pitchers near the top of the board. And I get that. So that qual- makes this qualify as a reach in most people's opinion. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I, I, you know, guys, I will tell you that. Um, and Manny, I, I was still down at Coors Field when the first five picks went out. And I'll tell you guys, the most shocking pick, and I'm going to use that term, shocking pick of the first round for me so far was Kumar Rocker being drafted by the Rangers with the number three pick. Yeah, that yeah, that absolutely. really surprised me because I figured he might be a late first round guy. But, you know, we all know some of the history there. I mean, Vanderbilt guy pitched with lighter in college. Very, very talented. But last year, you know, the the, the he dropped significantly um, in the first round when the Rockies had what? I think the number eight pick last year and he was still on the board. I thought maybe they'll take him. Maybe they'll take a flyer at Rocker. And they didn't. And it, he went to the Mets and we know the story from there. So what changed? I mean, are, are the Rangers convinced that his health is there, that he's the guy yeah, that they saw two years ago and not last year? That's interesting because it's the same team this, that gave John Gray all that money and Corey well, Seager all you know, that money it, and Marcus Simeon all that money and, and they're in last place. It's I, interesting I, because Kumar Rocker, from last I looked, he had he went to independent ball and he actually, yep. I mean, his stuff was pretty good. Um, the question, like you said, Ed, is which one is he, you know, which, yeah. which Kumar rocker is he and, and which uh, one will right. he be moving forward and which one will he be? So, you know, it's kind of fun to think about him and lighter in the same system, but they've got to, I mean, that's a high, that's, that's number three. I mean, they, they've got to know something, right? Number three. Yeah. I guys, I hope they're right. I mean, the Rangers have some smart people in that front office with Chris Young and uh, our old buddy, Nick Hundley and, and um, and some of the other folks that they've got in there. And so I got to believe they did their homework. Uh, I certainly hope so. But it, it certainly surprised me. And I think the guys on TV were were taken aback by it. And um, that's why. And I, I hate to be overly critical of these, uh, quote unquote, experts on TV. But quite often, guys, they're wrong. And sometimes they're wrong by a by a mile. And so, so are the teams, though. I mean, baseball is and, and that's the right. most exact science. Well, it's a crapshoot, you know, yes. right? It's it, a crapshoot. It, and it's, it it's is. something that it's something that, uh, you know, you, you, you think about, um, you know, the all the guys who were, you know, you think about, you know, you think about Mike Piazza on days on, on, on days like this. Right. Because yep. I always think about Mike Piazza because it's like he's uh, it's not it's not the everyday story, but it is it's a, it's a true story. You know, what was he? The 1390 something you know, pick, yeah. 62nd round, or as a favorite of Tommy Lasorda, yeah. and he's yep. a Hall of Famer. And you know, and then you look at guys who are can't miss and just they did, you know, Mark Appel and you know, everybody, oh, yeah. and a great story, Mark Appel, you know, yeah. getting back up there and everything else. But still, you know, it's just that's, yeah, you know, that's it's a risky run. I guess that's what makes it so that's what gets people's adrenaline pumping on draft day, right? 
Uh, yeah, I like, think you're so. Really, and, and you're really, you're really going out on a limb, no matter what you do. I was gonna say, so the Rockies are draft and develop. We're gonna draft and develop, and then, but we're not sure we're gonna get in the draft. But we don't want to go out and get some some guys that somebody else has drafted, and because we don't want to give up what we have. It, none of this makes any sense. And if this team, as we've talked about, finishes or com- comes in the beginning of August looking identical, what does it say? And what? I mean, what happens to Tovar and Montero? Do they get any playing time late in the season like they should, or are we just stuck in this hamster wheel again? Well, we, we may be stuck with the hamster wheel. And I, I got to go back to something that you, we talked about earlier, and you mentioned Chris Bryant, and a, a terrific player uh, by anybody's measure, and a guy that I think uh, is, is clearly one of the best guys in baseball in terms of not just his overall talent, but who he is as a person. He seems like a really good guy. But I have to tell you guys, if I was Bill Schmidt and in the offseason, I had a chance to, to pick up Chris Bryant, I don't know that I would have done it. And here's why. Look at the amount of money they're spending on him. 180, I think it's 180 for six years, is it? I think. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Mm-hmm. Guys, I got to tell you, I would have much rather looked for some maybe, let's say, next tier players that I could have spent maybe half that amount of money on and maybe had a few other impact guys in there that, that would be able to help this team right now. But because that's the idea, right? Like it's a long-term strategy, right? It you're is. Thinking about, you're not thinking about 2020, uh, 2022 in the National League West. You're not thinking about that. You're, you got no. the, you're looking up to the Giants and the Dodgers and the Padres, and that's just going to be how it is for a little bit. But I'm afraid you're right. You're just, you got to look farther out than that, right? And to put all that money into one guy, right, and then – and it goes back to the same thing. We're going to count on McMahon. We're going to count on Rogers. We're going to count on the, you know, it used to be Tapia. He's gone now, but it count on these guys that they're going to perform. Yeah. It goes back to what we said earlier. A lot of these guys don't that you miss. You just, it's, yeah. you have to build that in. It's a sunk cost. You're going to miss on some guys and you can't afford to do that as much as maybe the Dodgers can or another team. can. So it's like, yeah, right. I'm, I'm with you, Ed. I mean, you put all that money into that one spot and it just, it's a head scratcher. Well, it, and what it does, guys, I mean, pretty obviously, is it very much limits your maneuverability when it comes to trying to make deals for other players. Because, you know, it, you look at what this team had the last few years, and, and we talked about it. You had DJ, you had Nolan, and you had Trevor. Three top flight players by anybody's standards. And yet the Rockies weren't winning with them. So it, if the, to me, the way to look at it would be, and I, I would use last year as a classic example, I mean, the Rockies had Trevor Story all of last year, and they still weren't a good team. At the end of the year, they still weren't in the postseason. So my thinking would be, let's not put all of our eggs in one basket and hope that that basket doesn't get stepped on with injuries or whatever may come our way. Let's devote that money to maybe four or five guys and and get the right four or five guys that are going to be able to stick around here for a few years. Here's the thing, Ed. Here's the thing. Chris Bryant sells tickets. That's, and yes, that, he does. We go back to the bottom. That's the bottom that, line. That's is the bottom line. That's a good point. That's a very Chris good Bryant point. Sell, they couldn't go into the year, and, and we know Dix had a man crush on Chris Bryant for for a decade now. So bring Chris Bryant in here was a was strictly strictly to sell tickets. Yes, he's going to hit the ball. He's going to be your best player. Blah blah blah. But you're not going to escape the basement because you have Chris Bryant, and and that's where I mean, you talk about more about filling up all your eggs in one basket. I think we're all in agreement. They need more baskets. They need a lot more baskets. They do. They and, fill up. and because some of those eggs are going to hatch and be, be valuable and most of them aren't. Um, yep. That's just the nature of the beast. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I think guys, you know, and I don't want to be, I don't want to sound unfair here to Chris, but 
you know, I mean, the guy's been available to the Rockies for what, 10, 12 games this year. That about right. A little more I mean, than that, but not uh, right. he's probably about, about 30, 35, 30, yeah. Is it that many? Okay. But I mean, he, he was but gone. He, was still, yeah. he, he had the injury for a long time with the back. Yep. And then, then he's on the paternity leave this last week. And I get it. Those are all things that these guys are entitled to do, but you know, Chris, we're paying you a lot of money here. We need you in the ballpark. We need you, yeah. we need you playing and playing healthy. And, uh, and there's the risk when you put all that money in one guy, if he goes down for any one of a number of reasons, now oh. you're sitting, you got a bunch of cash tied up on the IL and you're not getting any performance from yeah. the other guys. Cause you don't have the maneuverability to go out and get help. That acquisition was not uh, Bill Schmidt's acquisition. As we know, that was a ownership driven, but now Bill Schmidt has a chance to put his stamp on this team a little bit more than he has in the offseason. We'll see if it happens. Ed, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate having you, as always. Great insight. Um, I think we're all in agreement. They're probably going to look the same uh, on August 3rd as they look right now, and that's well, going to be very disappointing for all of us. And, and I agree with you guys. And just real quick to wrap it up, yep. you know, I think one of the things that a general manager or a scout, for that matter, has got to have, you got to have the courage to be wrong, right? Yeah, you got to be willing Great to point. say, all right, look, I'm going to put it out there. And if I'm wrong, I'll take the hit for it. But damn it, this is the way I think this team needs to go. And we've got to do something other than the way we've been doing business because it hasn't worked. I mean, this team next year, they're right now, I think, in their 30th year, right? We still haven't won a division. I know. Not once. Appreciate it. we got to let you run. Manny, you got a closer for us? Yes, sir. All right, we'll be back right after this. Stay with us on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarngrill.com. On this edition of The Closer, since it's MLB draft time and all, let's go back 30 years and remember the first draft in the history of the Colorado Rockies, the 1992 expansion draft in which the two newest big league clubs, the Rockies and Marlins, began putting together their inaugural rosters. The first pick the Rockies ever made in a major league draft was right-handed pitcher David Need from the Braves. Need ended up starting the first game in franchise history on April 5, 1993 at Chase Stadium. The Rockies' second pick was third baseman Charlie Hayes, father of Cabrian, who was just here over the weekend with the Pirates in town. Charlie led the NL with 45 doubles in 1993 with the Rockies and had a 14-year big league career in which he won the 1996 World Series with the Yankees catching a foul pop-up for the final out at Yankee Stadium in Game 6. Colorado's third pick was reliever Darren Holmes, who was solid overall for the Rockies from 1993 to 97, having his finest year in 95 when he posted a 3.24 ERA in 68 appearances to help the club reach the postseason in just its third year of existence. Some other notable picks include Eric Young, who famously homered in the first Rockies plate appearance at home on April 9, 1993. Vinny Castilla, one of the original Blake Street Bombers, and Steve Reed and Curtis Liskanik, each of whom were a huge part of the 1995 bullpen that was key to the playoff run. One other name we can't forget to mention, Kevin Reimer. Kevin Reimer? Yes, Kevin Reimer. Original Rockies GM Bob Gebhardt made a deal with Brewers GM Sal Bando on the morning of the expansion draft. Bando said that if Gebhardt picked Reimer, a left-handed DH from the Rangers, Bando would trade Dante Bichette for him. And the rest, as they say, 
is history. There will be more history made with this year's draft picks. The question is always, which ones will pan out? Will they be impact players at the big league level? Will they sew themselves into the fabric of a franchise's history? Only time will tell. And that closes out another episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to longtime scout and radio voice Ed Henderson for giving us his perspective on the state of the Rockies at the All-Star break and what we might expect to see at the trade deadline. And thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.